Tonight we celebrate the birth of a baby over 2,000 years ago in a little town in Israel named Bethlehem. We celebrate a story that most of us know extraordinarily well from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. As we gather tonight in our finest clothes and we squirm with anticipation for tomorrow, I want us to appreciate that this isn't simply an interesting story that stands on its own. This story, these events that took place that night 20 centuries ago, is the pivotal moment in God's great story of hope and love and redemption that we know as the Bible. While the Bible contains 66 individual books, it is nonetheless one single story of a world gone tragically wrong. And a God so full of love that he determined before time began to set it right. Within this overarching story of failure and tragedy, disaster and redemption and ultimate victory, Christmas is the moment when the long-anticipated hero of the story emerges. He appears on the scene, the downtrodden people get excited, and the bad guys scoffed. Well, he doesn't look so tough after all. But a mere 33 years later would come the climactic moment in all of human history, the moment when the hero utterly defeated evil. But that's a story for Easter. For tonight, let's consider how our beloved Christmas story that we know so well fits into God's great story. And these seven verses up here that I just read, every detail of the Christmas story richly connects with God's great story. It is integrally tied to everything that came before it in the Bible. And so to help us celebrate the glorious gift that we received on Christmas... I want us to consider tonight three of these details that demonstrate the foresight of God, the faithfulness of God, and the forgiveness of God. Our journey tonight begins where Mary and Joseph ended that night, in Bethlehem, where the great foresight of God was on display. You see, in the very beginning of God's great story, he created a perfect world and, and filled it with nearly perfect people, carefully crafted in his image. He gave mankind responsibility to manage the world on his behalf, and of course, we messed it up. Because we all mess things up sometimes, don't we? No matter how hard we try, ever since the beginning, it seems that we have each managed to find a way to get ourselves on the naughty list. Well, God knew we would mess it up, and so like any good father, he was both deeply disappointed and not in the slightest bit surprised when the moment of failure came. 
But thankfully for all of us who mess things up from time to time, God loved us so much that he always had a plan for dealing with our failure. Literally from page three of my Bible forward, we see over and over again God promising that one day he would send someone to fix the mess we'd gotten ourselves into. That someone called Messiah in Hebrew, Christos in Greek, is the hero of God's story. The hero of the Bible. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, we see God reminding his people of this promise. Reminding him that the hero was coming. And that with him would come healing and peace. Reconciliation and the meaningful relationship with God that we are created to have. 700 years before that first Christmas, God revealed the location where the hero would appear. He spoke to the prophet Micah, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The little town of Bethlehem was where the hero would first appear where Messiah would be born. Jesus is the hero of the story, but there was a little problem that first Christmas because Jesus' mother Mary lived in Nazareth. And as the name of that town would indicate, it's not Bethlehem. (laughs) So how did our loving God solve this problem? Very simply, the sovereign God of the universe used the mighty Roman Empire under the leadership of the most powerful human being on earth as a tool to accomplish his plan. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. This is the marvelous foresight of God, that in his love and his meticulous planning to save fallen mankind, including you and me, he arranged things across centuries. This can be a comfort to us, should be a comfort to us, because we live in a world that feels terribly uncertain. A world full of wars and threats of wars. Ongoing financial instability, corruption, political division, sickness, death. You might be sitting here tonight feeling nowhere near as good as you are trying to put the happy face on about. You may be sitting here feeling far sadder than all those happy Christmas songs seem to claim you should feel. There may be empty seats at the dinner table this year representing broken relationships or lost loved ones for whom your grief still remains raw. There may be too few presents under the tree this year, or or maybe there's plenty of presents, but there's also enormous uncertainty about how you will pay for them when the bills come in January. And so if you feel buffeted by the winds of change, if you feel rocked, by uncertainty, find peace in the foresight of God, for whom nothing 
is a surprise. As we consider how the Christmas story fits integrally into God's great story, we take great comfort in having a loving God who who orchestrates events across centuries and who can easily move empires as, as chess pieces in order to accomplish his purposes so that his love for us could come forth that night in Bethlehem. The very same verse that brought us to Bethlehem explains why the birth of the eternal Son of God had to be in that tiny little backwater in Israel as a demonstration of God's great faithfulness. In bringing forth the babe in the manger, God wasn't merely faithful to keep his promise to redeem mankind from the mess that we've gotten ourselves into, but he demonstrated that he is faithful to keep every single promise. In a faithful world, a faithless world, rather, God is infinitely and enduringly faithful. In Exodus 34, 6, God describes himself as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness is a defining characteristic, a quality of God. He is a God faithful to every promise he has ever made. We live in a world that doesn't take that sort of thing very seriously, that is faithless by its nature, but we can take comfort in the God who is always faithful. 3,000 years ago, God made a promise to a king of Israel, a man named David. His promise is found in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Samuel, and it was this, that when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God swore to David that there would always be a king descended from him, a king who would rule forever. And yet a thousand years later, by the time we get to the Christmas story, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was no true king of Israel. Right? The homicidal Herod, we know from the Christmas story, was a pretender to the throne. He was put there by the Roman Empire. So does this mean that God had failed to be faithful to his promise? Not at all. Seven centuries before that first Christmas, God had explained what would happen because he is faithful and trustworthy in all his promises. He spoke to the prophet Isaiah. He promised, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, Jesse was the father of David, and God is swearing here that one day a new and radically different kind of king would come forth, would arise at a time when seemingly the line of kings was broken, when the line of Jesse was just a stump. That a king descended from Jesse and David would come who would be filled with the spirit of God and wisdom and knowledge and teaching and power and utterly obedient to the will of God. That king was Jesus, and the events of his life after his birth make clear that he is the perfect fulfillment of all these promises in every way, and that is the vital importance of those little words at the end of verse 4 from the beloved Christmas story, because he was of the house and lineage of David. 
God is faithful to his promise. This little phrase helps us understand just how pivotal the Christmas story is in in the terms of God's great story of love and redemption for fallen mankind. Christmas was the moment when the hero, the king, unlike any other, the eternal king, stepped forth into the world as a weak and innocent baby laid to rest in a food trough. Jesus came as the king unlike any other king, right? Not the king of your country, not the king you're stuck with. A king for all mankind. A king for all who choose him. Unlike a normal king, demanding and regal, overbearing and oppressive, Jesus instead invites us to him. He invites us to find comfort and rest in him. In Matthew 11, Jesus offers to each person, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the faithfulness of God and the hope that is offered through Jesus Christ to our tumultuous, ugly, lonely, burdensome, and broken world. Jesus is inviting you to choose him as your king, to experience the eternal faithfulness of God, the love, the peace, the rest, the comfort offered by the long-awaited king. Come to Jesus. Come to the babe in the manger if you are weary tonight. If you are burdened, if you are hurt, if you are exhausted, and he will give you rest. Let him teach you a new way to live and to grow and to experience peace in your heart, no matter the chaos that swirls around you. How? By trusting in him, by embracing Jesus as your king, as your Lord and as your savior, by accepting the forgiveness of God for every single mistake you've ever made and for every single mistake you ever will make. That's the next part of the story. That's a third detail of the Christmas story that fits so very perfectly into God's great story. Verse 5 introduces us to the forgiveness of God, but it does it in a way that that requires us to read God's story a little more carefully, dig a little more deeply. Because verse 5 introduces us to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as Joseph went to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now that child Jesus was no ordinary baby. Not only was his place of birth and his lineage proof of God's remarkable foresight and faithfulness, his very conception demonstrated God's foresight and faithfulness. Because yet again, seven centuries before that first Christmas, God had made a promise to the prophet Isaiah. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And on Christmas, the person of God entered our world as a baby born from a virgin to fulfill God's centuries-old promise because God is faithful indeed. You see, Mary carried no ordinary baby as she traveled to Bethlehem. 
Luke's Gospel records that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The faithfulness of God, the truth that Jesus was the very Son of God, born of a virgin, meant that he was free of sin from his birth. He was born without the sin that that plagues all mankind. Scripture makes clear that Jesus grew up to live a life without sin, and that unlike you and me, Jesus never made mistakes. He caused no undeserved hurts. He bore no shame of his own. He, He carried no guilt for the things he had done, even though he was tempted by the very same sorts of things that we are every day. This critical detail from the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus by the young Virgin Mary enabled Jesus to fulfill his purpose as the hero of God's story. But we need to understand, Jesus wasn't born to simply be a cute figure in the middle of nativities. Jesus wasn't born simply to be a wise teacher or a moral leader. He was not born simply to be a reformer or a revolutionary. Jesus was born to bear the sins of the world, to carry your sins and mine, your guilt and mine, your shame and mine, your failure and mine, and nail them all to the same Roman cross that he was nailed to, even though he never sinned himself. Jesus was born to fulfill the great plan of God, to demonstrate the foresight and the faithfulness of the loving God who created us and never, ever gave up on us when we failed him. Jesus was born because you and I, each of us, struggle to do the right thing. Jesus was born because even when we try our hardest, we still fail sometimes. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't. Or we think things we shouldn't, or we do things we shouldn't. And all too often we don't say or do things that we should be doing. And we can't overcome all that mess on our own. We are left to our own best efforts and our hardest work. We are doomed to be forever separated from our perfect, holy, righteous, and just Father in heaven. He loves us. Make no mistake of that. But His holiness and justice require punishment for our sins and our wrongdoing, a penalty we can't ever hope to pay ourselves. Because as soon as we did, we'd just mess it up again. And so God, in His love, in His foresight, in His faithfulness, offers His forgiveness. Though we surely don't deserve it, though there is nothing we can ever do to hope to earn it. 
Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born of a virgin, a descendant of David in the city of David, to pay our penalty. Jesus was born that first Christmas so that after living his life without sin, he could voluntarily suffer and die for us. To take the punishment that we deserve upon himself. Jesus came to be the last great, infinite, perfect sacrifice necessary to pay for all the sin of the world. And so as we remember Christmas, we need to realize Jesus was born in that little Jewish town so that he might one day be nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus was laid to sleep in that borrowed manger because one day he would be laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. Jesus was born in that stable so that one day he might rise from the grave. Jesus was born to bring the forgiveness of God to every man and woman and child who admits their mistakes to God, who is truly sorry for them and believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus was born to bring peace with God that we may experience the love of God, to give us hope amidst a hopeless world, to fill us with joy even as the world around us tries to steal our joy every day. Jesus was born because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Tonight, all who follow Jesus, that little baby in the manger, can celebrate the words of the angels. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Merry Christmas.